Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to the CISO Talk Podcast. James Azar, your host. So excited to be back. I've been out for a few weeks. I was in Israel. Uh, I got an ear infection. I spent time in quarantine. It's been just an absolute great time. I'm glad to be back home in Atlanta. And I've got Maria Thompson. Chief Risk Officer and Chief Information Security Officer for the state of North Carolina. Well, welcome to the CISO Podcast. Thank you, James. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on this. This has been like a year in the making because a year ago today, I think a year ago, about two weeks ago, we were in Israel together. Pretty close. Yes, yes. That was a wonderful experience. And I know that I enjoyed it as well as my team, my National Guard cyber team that was with me. It it was a really, really fun trip. I got to say this time wasn't as fun. Obviously, COVID has destroyed a lot of different things. It, It has. It has. And, you know, who would have thought that a year ago that we would be here today? And I'll tell you, um, I don't know about you, but I definitely want a 2020 do over. I'll gladly take a 2020 do-over. <laughs> gladly. Although it's 2020, we're like midway through the year, the year isn't over, and guess what, folks? There's still a presidential election. <laughs> the hits keep on coming. Hits keep on coming, yes. Never a dull moment. Never, not in this country, not ever. So, Maria, a little bit about to our audience. How'd you get started in cyber? I mean, you're uh, first of all, you're a Marine. So you have a very impressive background. So share a little bit of that with our listeners. Sure. Um, So really, I started my journey when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, I was one of the first, I think the number was 30 Marines that was selected to be part of this military occupational specialty called information assurance back then. Um, And it was when I think the Marine Corps started to take a really proactive um, view of cybersecurity. Of course, it wasn't called cybersecurity back then. So I was already in the IT communications field, and this seemed to me as a logical progression of where I wanted to be. I think I had some kind of foresight that cybersecurity was going to be this, you know, something that was um, that we really needed to sink our teeth into. And it looked like an awesome opportunity. And I, I, you know, I said to myself as a, as a young Marine, um, do I want to risk this in this unknown environment or do I want to, you know, stay the course? And I think the decision that I made back then was, well, you know what, at minimum, I'm going to learn something. So this is a growing experience. So I definitely, I threw my hat in the ring and I was selected to be one of the first 30 Marines. Um, and so I did that for roughly, I'd say, 12 years until I retired um, in 2009. I'm dating myself. And um, ever since then, I've been charting, um, you know, taking on roles 
that were security focused. I was in Iraq as a contractor. I did a, a stint there and I was a certifying authority um, for uh, multinational forces um, Iraq. Um, and then, you know, I did a stint with uh, a joint organization. I was a contractor there. I've worked at the EPA in, in another security role. And then now, you know, I landed this position at the state. So I've been with the state for five and a half years, a little over five and a half years now. So the great the great state of North Carolina, um, <laughs> really today's America's banking headquarters. I think uh, North Carolina today hosts more banks than any other state. I think you're accurate with that. Charlotte definitely is a leader, uh, leading area for that for the banking industry. So. If we focus a little bit about leadership, because I think cybersecurity is all about leadership, whether it be at a state level, city level, enterprise level, what are some of the skills and qualities you look for when you're hiring people to join your team? So I'll tell you this. I think I may be a little bit more um, type A in my, you know, wanting to have that that perfect unicorn. And, and, some, and over the years, I've learned that I needed to kind of step back and realize that there's certain things that you need to look for. You definitely need to look for aptitude, you know, whether or not that person has a passion. Those are the things that I really look for. So when I interview uh, someone to be part of my team, I'm looking for a level of experience that they may have. And if they don't have the experience, I want, I'm looking for enthusiasm. I'm looking for folks that, you know, when I ask a question, so what do you do if, if, if you are an apprentice or, you know, you're new to cybersecurity, what are you doing? What steps are you taking to be active in the community, to learn more? And if you tell me that, you know, I have a lab at my home and I'm doing, you know, I'm, I'm working on these projects or, you know, these are the things I'm supporting my neighborhood in their IT endeavors or something along those lines, that shows me that you really have a drive and, and usually when I meet folks like that, they're the ones that are super successful because it, they are willing to take the next, you know, take the time, take the, the whatever is needed in order to build their knowledge and to continue to grow in the field. And they're hungry and they're, you know, willing to, again, sink their teeth into any project that, you know, that you may throw at them. And they're, they're thinking outside the box too. They're not necessarily, you know, coming in or the, the person, the type of employee that comes in every day and expects to be handed a, uh, you know, a list of a laundry list of things to do. They're going to take those actions, um, be proactive and, and, you know, and help to optimize the operations. So I, I really, long story short, I'm really looking for those people that are hungry and that have passion. Because if you don't have the passion, I think you're going to burn out really fast and become one of those complacent ones within that. And we all know we have them in our, you know, in our environment. Unfortunately, complacency is one of those things that comes when you're in a big organization, right? As you're building a team and your team grows, complacency becomes part of it. When you look, though, from a from a security leader perspective, right? When we talk about our employees, we always are looking for those unicorn employees. But from a CISO perspective, we, we hear a lot of stories of very successful CISOs and, and chief risk officers. And we hear the horror stories, the people who say, these are all the things I've learned not to do. So in your opinion, what are the skills that security leaders need to have in order to succeed and really lead their teams to, to the goal of establishing a secure organization? You know, in, in my views, in, in my view, uh, what I have seen and what I've tried to, um, to model in the way that I approach things is agility. And, you know, there's, there's something that we learned in the, in the military. I brought a lot of what I've learned from a leadership standpoint from the military into what I do in my present life. And that is, one, of course, there's always the lead by example. Um, there's always that, that the need to ensure that you are the consummate professional. Try that as much as possible. We understand there may be times when that's going to slip. <laughs> but be open to learning. I think that's one of the key things that leaders need to know and, and need to, to, um, to factor in is that you just because you are in a supervisory role or a managerial role doesn't mean that you have the answers for everything. And so there are times when, yes, you may have a, a team member that or subordinate, whatever you want to call them, that may have a better answer 
a better way of approaching something. Um, take that, take that information, give them, of course, their due, um, you know, for that and, and run with it. Because I, I'm telling you, there are many times that I've been in a situation where someone in my team has said, well, you know, here's another way of thinking about it. And generally speaking, that is sometimes a better approach on how to do things. So definitely be flexible, uh, be open to um, suggestions. And it could be somebody else from outside of your team as well. Because again, when you're set in your world of cybersecurity and your siloed approach to certain things, you have to um, be open to other the other side. Because I think one of the big things that we do, one of the big errors that we make as leaders sometimes is to only look at things in our myopic you know, view. And being in cyber, we've had to be flexible over the years. We've had to change the way we think about things. I know you've all heard this before where we used to be the office of no, and now we're yes, but. That's what my thing is, yes, but. Um, this is the better way of doing it and more, not better, but more secure way of thinking of things and how to do things. Um, we also need to be strategic. We need to, to always keep an eye on what is happening, what's changing in technology, um, so that we are ahead of the game and not necessarily catching up. And I think that's what we've been doing in, in, in security for too long, in my opinion, is being more reactive and not proactive. Um, and, and generally, I, I would say that also just being, um, uh, being supportive of the business. Uh, I think that a lot of times, again, going back to my, our views, our way of looking at things in a myopic way, we tend to forget that the business has to run and we are here because there is a business. So we have to be enablers to enable them in order to do what they want to do, help them to do it more securely. But always, again, there's that partnership. So building that partnership. We talk about leadership a lot. And leadership definitely plays a key role. And, you know, in this unprecedented times where we were dealing with, you know, COVID, this outbreak, you're a chief information security officer and chief risk officer for one of the greatest states in our nation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're number one. And so kind of taking that, how has how has leadership played a role in you know, generating an IT response and cross coordinating, you know, with the North Carolina Health Department, with the National Guard and so forth, with, you know, the COVID response. You don't hear a lot about North Carolina in the mainstream, I guess, I won't say mainstream, but I'd say in the national media, they're really focused on kind of, you know, Florida, Georgia, New York, California. Um, they're really not talking a lot about, about the rest of the states. But according this morning, when I flew in, and I and I flew in this morning, and I was in Newark. Um, North Carolina was a red state, meaning if you come from North Carolina and you come to New York or Jersey, you got to go to a fourteen day quarantine. So, talk a little bit about that leadership that that has really kind of stepped outside the bounds of just security, but really dealing with this, you know, national disaster. Yes, it it, it really is. And to your point, using your words, a, a disaster in in that you know this is unprecedented. This is something that, you know, again, we would never have, have envisioned would happen. I mean, we, we plan for the worst, but when it actually happens, you never, you know, you have to realize that you have to be reactive um, in order to, to meet the demands of it. So as an organization, I know DIT, Department of Information Technology, which is where my office sits, we've had to ramp up just like all, you know, majority of the states, if not all the states, ramp up to support all the various uh, remote teleworking um, support, uh, IT support that is needed. Uh, we've had to look at being more agile in how we uh, procure, uh, review, well, from a security perspective, how we review those solutions before they are purchased, um, because you know we have a lot of uh, urgent needs that need to be met. Uh, we've had to be able to, to ramp up solutions to support those, those organizations, such as um, uh, Health and Human Services, um, especially also uh, um, it's uh, Department of Employment Security that handles all our uh, unemployment um, claims. Those two agencies have been um, very, we've been locked tight with those agencies since day one, trying to ensure that we provide them with every IT solution that they may require. 
And we've had a lot of support from our vendor partners. So we can't, you know, I, I would remit, be remiss if I didn't mention and thank those uh, vendor partners that stepped up to the game and they were able to say, hey, you know, we're all in this together. Here's some solutions that we can offer for, you know, uh, an extended period of time to support you and the state agencies and the citizens of North Carolina through this um, this that we're dealing with. So it has been really uh, a very eye-opening experience um, being able to to really integrate our business processes with the agencies that are impacted and to support as much as possible. And we're still doing it to today. Um, every day there is either a request for additional laptops, additional uh, personnel, you know, another solution that will um, fill a gap that we currently may have. So again, being agile, being responsive, or have been the, the leading, the guiding principles of what we've been doing from an IT perspective to support these agencies through this whole measure. And, and I cannot, I would be again remiss if I didn't mention broadband. You know, think about those schools, think about those um, students that are in remote areas of North Carolina that are not able to attend um, school because of the pandemic, but have a need to be, you know, to have distance learning capabilities that are available to them. So looking at things such as how do we how how do we get MiFi's out to them? How do we um, have uh, Wi-Fi partnering with our vendor partners again, getting Wi-Fi on school buses that can be placed in locations so that these students can get access to the internet so that they can do their homework. You know, so it has been a really really strong, and we are supported by the governor's office and our legislators in this whole endeavor. So it's been truly a whole of state approach um, to this pandemic response. It's fascinating for me when I when I hear about the res- the different responses to COVID. Right? I mean, you brought up I think things beyond the traditional response. I did a panel a few weeks ago with the uh, uh, lieutenant colonel and the general from the Georgia National Guard, and some of the work they did on COVID nineteen. From um, the, you know they were featured in the Army Times, and I know Marines don't like to hear this a lot. They make fun of the Army a little bit, but. Um, they developed a data dashboard that essentially coordinated the entire state data that streamlined through the Georgia National Guard to the CDC, the Georgia Department of Public Health, the governor's office, and so forth. Um, and, and the dashboard that they built was actually uh, taken across. And, and I mean, the stuff that you talk about using school buses as Wi-Fi hotspots for um, you know kids in neighborhoods that don't have access to internet, that don't have internet in their homes. Folks, it's 2020, yes, but we still have, I mean, if anything this pandemic has taught us is just our our, our well-built urban areas are well-developed and everything around them is still living in 1978. It, Jane, I'm telling you, it was very shocking for me because again, we live in a bubble. And so word that, we have students, and, and I don't know why this is a shocker for me, but when, we, when I heard that there are students that their only meal would be when they're at school. And so well, now that they have to stay at home, there's, you know, there's no meal for them. How do we get them fed? You know, and, and there are students that have no laptops. And I, you know, when you think about how we are now, we are so fortunate in that we have so many IT equipment thrown around, thrown around our homes that it's simple. And then you hear of these folks that are really are struggling in that, in that, you know, uh, way. So it, it, it was definitely an eye opening. Again, I keep using that word, but an eye opening experience when you think about the impact of IT, what IT has on everyone in order for us to do our, you know, our, our regular duties, as well as, um, you know, our daily lives, how, how do we live? How do we communicate? We have, telemedicine. Now, you know, we have telemedicine and we have uh, our prisons that are using um, similar technologies for visitation with the prisoners. You know, and when we think about how do we go back to where we were before, in some cases, I think that we may not need to because there, there are capabilities that we've always, well, we've never really envisioned being, uh, you know, something that we could leverage, but I think that you're going to you're going to see a lot more IT use, which means more technology, 
um, which means, uh, yep, we're going to have to be a little bit more secure in how we do things and how we think about deploying things in the future, because now there's another attack surface that we have to look at. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There, There's a whole new set of attack surfaces and a whole new set of changes that are coming our way that we're underprepared for, we're ill-prepared mm-hmm. for, we're not ready to face yet. Yeah. And people don't want to have those conversations. The conversations that are now is the new normal. And I hate these new normal conversations. Oh my goodness. That is the term, by the way, that if I could burn is the new normal. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Save it. <laughs> <laughs> the new normal is something I want to I want to really just get rid of. I kind of want to shift a little bit from leadership though and talk a little bit more about security. So in in your day-to-day as a chief risk officer and chief information security officer, what what aspect of security do you focus the most on and why? Um I will say that in the last couple of years it's been really the incident response piece. And because I, I think primarily because I thought that that's the area that we were more deficient and we needed to really um, optimize. Now I'm all for my, and my team is probably getting so sick of that word that that's the word that they would probably want to, to sync would be uh, optimized because Maria is always optimizing, want, talking about optimizing something, but incident response. And the reason why is we've seen, especially in North Carolina in the last couple of years, such an up, uptick in ransomware attacks. And we are, you know, some of the, the, the municipals, the local uh, government, they're ill-prepared for the response that is needed. And so we have to be prepared to make sure that we have the right teams that are trained you know, organized, equipped, using that military term, to be that um, support element for them. Uh, you know, we have, I think North Carolina is one, and I, I'm bragging here, one of the leading states, I would say, in organizing a team to support impacted um, states and local entities when it comes to cyber. Um, we've seen it we tried and true um, I think in, in 2019 alone, we had either 11 or 12 um, uh, ransomware incidents across uh, you know, various uh, academic, uh, local government, and, um, and, uh, and actually state agencies that have been impacted that we've responded to and assisted them in recovery. Um, 2020 started out with a bang. The month of March alone, we had, I believe there were four to six different ransomware um, incidents at, right at the onset of COVID. So we've seen that and we've, we've honed our skills over time. And, and that's largely in thanks to the, uh, uh, we call it the cyber task force, which is comprised of our national guard cyber team, cyber response force, our federal partners, our nickel GISA, which is the North Carolina local government information systems association, their IT strike team, which is a awesome, awesome solid group of IT managers that sit within the local county and they come together and they help each other and help us um, build this team that is then now the, the response force, the boots on the ground whenever there is you know, an impacted entity within the state. Well, our good friend Ohad Zeidenberg, who gave us the Iran briefing, founded the CTI League, which was mentioned by Director Krebs at CISA. And they do, um, they've done an amazing work helping um, healthcare uh, facilities and doctors uh, deal with a lot of the uh, cyber attacks and really have created a uh, global community of, of cyber researchers and threat hunters. Um, th- that's really done an amazing work. And, and they've actually got a hackathon that starts tomorrow, started today oh, nice. and rolls all the way until the 18th of this month. That's really um, great work. And I mean, Ohad, who, who you know, you met last year. He's just a brilliant, brilliant young man. I mean, just his he Iran is, and, and you would never, you never think brilliant. that. Yes, yes. Very humble as well. Indeed. When you look at a security project, what, what security project project in your career did you enjoy working on the most, and why? Honestly, I would say the one that I'm on right now, and I know that sounds like, you know, that's an eye roll. Of course you're going to say that. No, but I would say it is the role, the current role that I have within the state of North Carolina. Uh, And the reason why is because I can see the impact and I can see the changes. 
you know, it, it's, I think it's almost like a culmination of, of my career, of the different places that I've, I've been, the, uh, the organizations that I've been in, the environments that I've worked, whether it was overseas in Iraq or, you know, or whether it was, um, you know, with a federal agency. I think that I was able to pull together a lot of what I've learned there to bring to the state. And I've seen over time in the past five and a half years how we've grown and how we've matured. Um, and we're still growing and we're still maturing because, you know, we, I don't think we're the best at everything that we do, but we've, we've really created a strong team um, within the state. And it's something that I'm extremely proud of. I think strong team is everything to a success of an organization, right? Yes. You're a Marine. And for those who say, but Marine is not a Marine. Yes, she is. She's once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. You don't, so you die. no one is a former Marine. You can ask, um, um, my good friend, uh, uh Pat uh, over at the, uh, uh <laughs> sorry, I am really jet lagging at the moment. So my, my whole focus is off beat and, and people are, if people are watching the video, I seem stoned because my eyes are <laughs> tiny but I have not smoked anything illegal. My body thinks it's 1 a.m. even though it's 6 p.m. I spent a month in Israel. And, you know, when we when we flew to Israel, I flew with y'all. And I didn't have any jet lag. If you remember, like, I was out, you know, jogging on the beach yeah. and, and surfing at, like, at 5 a.m. But going to quarantine throws you off completely. So uh, Patrick Gall... Um, he, he and and that's uh, another marine, and he he runs a a CISO uh, lobbyist group. Um, that that's just absolutely great. Um, these guys lobby out in D.C. to to give a CISO uh, a voice uh, amongst our elected officials. He he will always say this. He wears his marine pin until today, and he says, "You're never a former marine. You're always a marine." And so. Uh, I, I gotta kind of keep that and <laughs> remind our audience of that. As you look at some of the challenges that we as practitioners um, are starting to overcome, what are those challenges that you're you, that you're thinking about? That you go, you know, that's going to be old news. We're not going to experience these security challenges anymore going forward. Ooh, that's a tough one. I should have thought about that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, because sadly, I will say this. I think, in, again, in my experience in the years that I've been, over 20 years um, in IT and, and, and cyber, it's the challenges, a lot of the challenges are people-related. I would say not te- technology-related, to be honest. And I, I can tell you one of the challenges I wish we would overcome would be that, you know, we always talk about the partnership between operations and security. I wish we could get to, in everywhere that we go, because again, we're all interconnected. If we were able to normalize that relationship between operations and security and find that happy balance. Um, what I don't think... You don't think COVID did that? You don't think that COVID has brought operations and security to the table to kind of, you know, when people started to work from home, when people realized this wasn't a 24, 48, or one week. This wasn't part of your business continuity plan. Mm-hmm. You weren't really prepared for something that was going to, you know, spread and be as, as lethal and deadly in terms of business operations like COVID. You know, and, and that's a good point, James. I, I would say this, that I'm always, um, I'm an optimist, but in this case, you know, I'm optimistically pessimistic, I guess. <laughs> is, that, is that a way of saying that? No, because you know why? Our memories are very fleeting as humans. Yes. And so while we are able to pull together in Kumbaya, if when we go back to the next evolution, because I'm not going to say the new norm, <laughs> you know, whatever that is, I feel as though we may, and hopefully not, hopefully not, um, go back to where we were before. Hopefully, we can take this, you know, this learning experience that we have, and we've we and the steps that we to bridge those gaps. Now, I'll say this: that is not an issue that I deal with at my current organization because I've had over the past few years had ex- a lot of support from our, you know, the operations side of the house. Um, but you know, you'll always run into little buckets, little areas here or there that you know 
is unnecessary. And I think it's, it's really what has helped me over time is building those relationships over time and gaining trust. There's a book, I think it's Stephen Covey. I think it's the speed of trust. I always quote yeah. that because yeah. the more when you, when you gain somebody's trust, you can open doors a lot faster than anything, than throwing money at a situation. Trust is key. And trust has been very instrumental, I believe, in how we were able to establish that uh, response force within North Carolina with our local county um, uh, folks, with uh, the school folks that have been impacted. It's been building trust, is letting them know that we are here as a partner for them. But, you know, to your point, I would hope that we do not ever go back to where we were before and that we continue to leverage the steps forward that we've made and, you know, continue to progress and, again, build on this kumbaya. I, I love the whole kumbaya approach. It's 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 a blast. <laughs> I, I will say though that the the challenge remains, and the challenge will always be the human aspect. And I think you nailed that on the head. The uh, J- Justin Berman, he's the chief information security officer for Dropbox. He said, when someone comes and tells me I'm here to train your people, I say, develop a technology that understands the weakness of my people and can complement and, and supply their weakness. Don't try to change human behavior. You can't. And I think there's nothing more evident of that than people have been killing people since people became people. That hasn't. Absolutely. Nothing stopped that. Yeah, right? I, I agree. I agree. And, so, you know, I, I jokingly always say, you know, you can't kill them. So I guess you got to work with them. <laughs> well, people are always going to click the links. They're always going to open emails. They're always going to give in to something. And and these guys, these criminals, they're getting so much better at it. They're, they're really, really good. I mean, I saw in the last week and a half while I was in Israel, I was, spent a lot of time with a lot of security researchers. And I saw some of the best written emails that literally I would have read it and been like no spelling mistakes looks legit the request has a sense of urgency but also builds respect they're good I would say this I would say this if you know most of the cases that I see if those were the cases I would give somebody a pass <laughs> you know and, and I think to be honest that if they really want to get to you if they really want to get you, then I think there's ample opportunity, uh, unless you completely detach from the network, uh, you know, and, and, and live off the grid, uh, you can be somehow influenced, um, you know, to do the wrong thing, um, unless you're absolutely paranoid and never click on anything or, you know, so on and so forth. But you're, but you're right, the human element is always there. And what upsets me most, I, I would say, and is when someone bites when somebody takes the fish for something that is so clearly clearly you know uh, a poorly written or poorly executed attack that's what gets me if it's something that was again sophisticated i'm like you know it happens but when they do i don't get mad at the people who do that because i expect my technology to recognize a poorly put together attack I don't expect my technology providers, my EDRs, my MDRs, my AVs, my so forth, to recognize a very good, sophisticated attack. But one where it says, hello, dear, I am writing you because I am unavailable at the moment to help you. And I need you to go and run and buy me 10 gift cards for Best Buy for $500 each and I will pay you back. And, and that's a very valid point. You know, you do, but, but that you're making the assumption technology is actually there and the technology is configured correctly. And so it, it goes, you know, there's a laundry. You can start going down the rabbit hole because, you know, you will run into cases where, you know, an organization may have every, every tool in the book because they've bitten, you know, they, they want to make sure they have, um, they've, they're following the magic quadrant and they've got all the tools. And if it's not um, configured correctly, if you don't have the right automation, you don't have interoperability, if you don't have someone, someone actually looking at the alerts as they come through, then it's all for naught. So to your point, yes, 
the tools that are out there should be providing us a, a, a level of protection, a top level of protection, but only if it is configured, um, you know, the way to do what it's supposed to do. And that's something that I've been striving with with our team is to make sure that we are constantly doing a, a hygiene check of all of our solutions with our vendor partners. Come in. Are we configured correctly? What can we do to optimize? What do you, you know, what are the best practices? What should we be looking at in the future? You know, what's on your roadmap? Those types of questions, having that type of communication with them. Um, but again, you know, there's always educating the end user. And when you when you put forth that effort to educate the end user, I know you can only do it for so, you know, they can, the end user will, you can't force it down them, but <laughs> their heads, even though you'd wish you could. Um, but you, you know, you, you try to do that. And when it fails, I think where, you know, you don't throw your hands up in the air, you continue the, the fight, but you try to figure out what is the next way? How can I reach that person? And I've actually contacted an individual in particular to say, okay, when we've done our phishing exercises and you've clicked three times on the same email, what is it that's missing? You know, I, this is not a, a reprimand in any way. Please explain to me, how would our training be better to help you? Because I really wanna know if there's that 10% that's gonna click, what is it that we're not doing to get through to them? So, but it, but it, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a defense in depth. You know, we've used that term for, for decades. It, it's the tools, but you also have to have the people and they have to come together. Yeah, it's it's a perfect storm of of things that you need in order to really make that happen. And I think uh, predominantly people will click on links, at least in conversations I've had with people, where they're not paying attention. They're looking at the name. And I think we as security folks, we come from a world where we're suspicious of everyone. Right. Absolutely. Like we're, 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 we're just suspicious and everyone else around us that isn't in security they're not suspicious they're i don't want to say they're a wholehearted good people but they're wholehearted good people and if they get an email they go well if it's bad my security person would have stopped it because there's this fake hollywood narrative that security people can sit on a keyboard uh, on an episode of ncis or an episode of csi whatever and you know and 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 all of a sudden the counter hacker the 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 good hacker right because there's a bad hacker and a good hacker in hollywood and the you know and he's typing away on his keyboard type it type it type 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 it away and bam problem solved right like with two that's seconds to spare happened. i thought that's how it happened <laughs> You're, you're, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. And, and I think that may give, again, you know, some end users a false sense of, of, of their role and their responsibility in the protection of the environment. Um, most recently, we sent out a, uh, a checklist to all, our, to all the state employees because, you know, we've been operating in this remote um, way for, what, three months now. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that every agency that we may not have any visibility on because they operate their own environment. In some ways, some agencies are decentralized, that they are taking the right views on how, the, how to manage the endpoints. Because we know that not every endpoint is being effectively managed the way that they should. So we are reaching out to the state employees to say, hey, before you bring your, 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 your return to work, we know that you've, you've, this, this device has been operating you know, in the wild, if you will, for some time now. These are the things that we need you to check. We need you to check your antivirus to see if it's been receiving its updates. We need you to check to see if your browsers are being updated. We need to check, you know, if you've been installing software that you should not have been installing, you need to remove those software, those types of things. And again, it's to bring awareness to the end user that these the desktop support guys are not the only ones that are in the battle. The, the you know, your security guys are not the only ones that are that have the responsibility for securing that environment. You have a role as well. How do you handle the state's data? How do you handle the state's asset that connects to the state infrastructure is your role. So you make you bring up a great, great point, Maria, which is we as security professionals need to start changing our discussion with the users. 
And the discussion is there's no technology that's perfect against security. I know I do that as a virtual CISO with multiple organization. When I sit with the staff, I tell them, listen, I can spend mul- millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on stuff. I go, Capital One did. They still went through an incident. Chase did. They go through multiple incidents. I go, we're going to go through incidents. You need to understand that our last line of defense is you. It's not technology. I go, you know, at the end of the day, you can put the best missile defense system in the world. You can have the most, the best ships and the best planes. But the last line of defense for anything is your home front. Can you defend home base? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's a key thing that, you know, it unfortunately the back backside of that or the, the, the cons to that um, is that it doesn't help with getting the investment money, right? So when you do have gaps in your environment and you have to make a business case to procure a particular solution to fill that gap, you know, you don't necessarily want that t- type of mindset um, with those decision makers that, well, we're going to get breached anyway, so why are we investing in this? No, we, you know, we still need to fill those gaps. And, you know, I've, I've jokingly said this. I want the bad guys to come to North Carolina and go, okay, they, okay, these guys are a hard target. You know what? It's just too much work. Let's go to, let's go to Georgia. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they come to Georgia. We, 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 Georgia makes it easy enough. Georgia goes through enough attacks. People make fun of Georgia enough from a cyber perspective. We've we've had the well, Georgia anywhere, State Patrol but, breached. No. We've had, I mean. F- it's 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 counties here that have been ransomwares after ransomware after ransomware. We all it's, are it's dealing, been we all are dealing with that. But we just we all of us we just need to figure out how to make ourselves just that uh, just a hard target to make it just enough just difficult enough to where they you know they shift somewhere else. If it's outside of the continental US even better. Yeah, let's send them to Canada. Yeah, well, okay. Hey, I have family there. It's okay. <laughs> Just send them to Canada. I don't know. Maybe okay. we'll send them somewhere. Let's send them to Russia. <laughs> sure. Let's redirect all malicious traffic to Russia. Just overload the Russian firewall. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a unique, yeah. yeah. That would be interesting, in fact, yes. So we're in the favorite part of my show. It's our CISO Insight Round. So here's the deal, folks. I am going to ask Maria six questions. She gets one word to answer each. One word. You, you, it's got to be a short answer. This is kind of like okay. a lightning thunder round. Got it. If I want to, if I want you to explain, I'll tell you to explain. <laughs> okay. All right. But let's get started with one buzzword you'd want to get rid of forever. New norm. New norm, yeah. I, I, that, that's you're you're the first to put that in my graveyard. I've got a graveyard of buzzwords in my backyard, and the new norm will have your initials on it right now. R.I.P. Great. One technology that'll change the way we do cybersecurity. See, this is. Oh, I say AI, but true AI. I know you said true one word. AI. True AI, not. You know, you know where I'm going with this. There's a lot of people touting AI, and it's not truly AI. Well, we had that discussion last year when we were in Tel Aviv, right? People, the difference when we saw how, um, if you remember, we were at, at Bank Lumi, and they were talking about how they utilize AI in their fusion center, mm-hmm. which was different from how AI was being used by Israeli electric company. I saw Yossi um, literally last week at B-Sides in Tel Aviv, and, you know, we were talking about true AI and he was talking about how true AI was how they stopped the uh, Iranian cyber attack on the water facilities in Israel in April. I think we can all learn from each other. Yeah. The last book you read and why? <laughs> so it's working with people you want to punch in the throat. <laughs> I am serious. I am so serious on that. And the reason why it was actually a, a coworker of mine, a very good friend of mine, um, purchased that book for me because that's usually my saying that I wanted to throat punch someone. 
And she found a, a book, you know, spending Christmas with family members you want to punch in the throat, working with people you want to punch in the throat. So that was my last book. Last movie you saw? Invisible Man. The new one. Your favorite music? Top 40s. I'm a top 40s gal. Top 40s. So anything on the top 40 could be pop, rap, R&B, country, jazz. Okay, okay. Not the, not the country. Let's take the country off, but everything else. <laughs> You're from North Carolina. Country. Uh, yeah. I live in North Carolina. I'm not originally from North Carolina. <laughs> you know, I'm not originally from Georgia. I still listen to country now. Okay. Um, note to self, you've just lost some cool points, but go ahead. You know, what's funny when I was in Israel, I was riding around the scooters, uh, those uh, e-scooters that we saw. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I, I was uh, blasting a little bit of country music on the 4th of July, riding around on the e-scooter. It was it was magnificent. It was star-spangled awesome because I drove around the U.S. consulate in Tel Aviv blasting God Bless America and whatever with a bunch of others. It was it was a it was Good great. For you. That's awesome. Yeah, two thumbs up. Yeah, it, it was it was great. So, w- what's one of your key things that you took away from the COVID nineteen crisis? You know, we've we've heard this all the time: increased productivity. And I think that's been one of the the biggest eye openers and shockers because, again, I'm not an old, but old you. Know, mindset seeing and we're used to touching and we're used to having folks right there and you know especially when it comes to security i've seen increased productivity in my team and and i think generally speaking it's because my team they are well they're 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 cyber folks so they're always heads down and so they're and and a lot of them are introverts so working at home really works well for them so you know and i've heard this in other areas as well increased productivity uh, I agree. I think so many people were surprised of all of a sudden the amount of work that people got done when they didn't have to sit in an hour of traffic to get to the office. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Deal with office politics and office BS, the gossip, the, you know, the, 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 the distraction. I call them distracting Larry's. Distracting Larry's <laughs> is that one guy in the office that's like distracting everyone from actually doing their job. Um, <laughs> the drive-bys, yeah, the unnecessary drive-bys. I mean, there's some, there's some, uh, I think, good things that come from good for the soul, good for you know relationship building to to have that face-to-face. So I wouldn't say you know being uh, remote is a hundred percent the best way of doing things, but I would say that it can be it can be factored in more than we have in the past. That we can allow people that opportunity to remote work more. Um, and still achieve success and performance increase. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen to the commercial real estate market over the next two to three years. Yeah, yeah, and I've had that with my neighbors actually. They're um, they they own real estate, and I know that that's a concern of theirs as well. And that's been, I think, a topic topic of discussion in in many venues. Um, so it remains to be seen, but I'm sure there will be a hit. But again, you never know because, again, going back to what I said earlier, our memories are fleeting. So we may revert back in a few years. Who knows? Well, you know, I I, I agree with the fact that we're eventually we're going to revert back. I don't know that we're going to revert back, though, the same way. No, no, I agree. I agree. I absolutely agree 110%. I think there will be remnants of this pandemic that will be with us forever. And some of them, uh, hopefully most of the pros will be the ones that we hold and we carry through to the future. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for not wearing masks anymore, though. Um, yeah. the, if, if I wore a mask for I had uh, in Israel, you're required to wear a mask anytime you're in public. So I wore a mask from the moment I reached the airport and I had the mask on until I got home almost 20 hours later. So I had on a mask for t- 20 straight hours. I mean taking it off seldom maybe you know if i if i went to the uh, uh, restroom on the airplane i take the mask off 
Um, or if I was at the restroom in, in, in the airport, I'd take the mask off. But outside of that, I got a mask on my face. Very, very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's a necessary evil, I guess you could say, um, for now. And, but, but to your point, I hope that that is not something that we have to carry on in the future. And, and for those thinking of traveling during COVID, let me tell you something. If you thought airplane food was bad before COVID, try it now. <laughs> well, what did you tell them that, look, a, a symptom of this is not the loss of taste buds. We still have to taste. So food. they bring you your food uh, on international flights, at least. They bring you your, your food and it's all sealed up. So the fresh bread that you would once get that they would heat up doesn't exist anymore. You're getting really hard bread. Um, it's just no, no, just. That's a, that's a big no, huh? That's a no for yeah. you, dog. Yeah. No, negative. Don't do it. Don't do it, folks. Maria, thank you so much for coming on the Sisso Talk podcast. I really appreciate it. You've been awesome. Thank you, James. This has been, to your point, this has been great. This has been great. It's always great catching up with you. We always have a good time. Yes, we do. And what's funny is this podcast is shorter than our average phone call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Folks, I want to say thank you so much to uh, Maria Thompson. Um, it was great to have her on uh, the podcast today. I want to say, make sure you subscribe, follow, give us five-star ratings on your favorite podcast listening platform. Let us know what you think. You can submit questions on our website at cyberhubpodcast.com. I want to, again, thank you to Maria so much for coming on the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, we'll be back with a lot more CISA talks um, now that summer vacation is over. We're back at it full force back in the states i've got some great sisos lined up and some content that i produced while i was in israel that i can't wait to share with y'all so until next week folks stay cyber safe 